Welcome to Calling a City to Life, a podcast by Queen's Park Baptist Church in Glasgow. Each week you'll hear from us two episodes, the talk and the chat. First up is the talk, and that's the audio version of this week's sermon as preached at Queen's Park Baptist. So this is your opportunity to listen to it again or to listen to it for the first time. And later on in the week, you'll be able to tune in again and download the chat where we gather around and discuss in a bit more detail some of the issues and themes raised in this week's talk. Thanks for tuning in to the talk. We hope you enjoy it. And we look forward to you tuning in again later in the week. Enjoy. Amen. Thanks, Richard. Now, you will know that we always really appreciate our guest speakers at Queen's Park Baptist Church. But uh, this is one speaker this morning. I think that we all want to say how much we really appreciate you, Edwin. And it's just wonderful to have you. So maybe we can just express that to you. And I think many of us who are here can say that we've heard the Lord speak to us through you, Edwin. And so it's with faith that we invite you to come and speak. Bless you. Thanks, Ian, very much indeed uh, for that welcome. And uh, I've just sensed that very much this morning. Uh, it's a real privilege to be here on the, on the platform. Ian has asked me a few times. He very graciously persevered uh, and eventually persuaded me uh, to come this morning. So I'm glad to be here. Fifteen years since I retired. It's amazing. And so many of you, I'm sure, uh, don't know me at all. And uh, increasingly, as we come in to church Sunday by Sunday, we keep uh, uh, seeing folks that we don't recognize and don't know. And that's always a good thing. Uh, That should happen for all of us. But uh, we're always seeing new people uh, come to church. So be thankful for that when it happens. When you come in and you think, Who's this standing in front of me? (laughs) That's a good sign. Well, it might be a bad sign because it might be like me or getting a wee bit. uh, (laughs) But it's a good sign if there are visitors coming amongst us and we thank God for that. We're going to read a passage together in Genesis chapter 32 and from verse 22. If you want to follow that uh, on your whatever whatever you're using. to get the scriptures in front of you. Genesis 32 and verse 22. Jacob had been for many years away from his homeland, living with and working for his uncle Laban. He's on his way back and in his heart he would like to be reconciled with his brother Esau that he had so badly wronged long, long ago. And he's on his way, but he's had some bad news that Esau is coming to meet him with a small army. So, here's the word of God. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, 
he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. May God bless to our hearts and minds that reading of his word. You know, we can learn so much from the men and women of the Bible as we seek to go uh, further up and further in with God. We learn from their defeats as well as their victories. And last Sunday, we were thinking about Joseph and Ian reminded us about the ugly family, the dysfunction in the family that Joseph was brought up in. And this morning, we are stepping back a generation and thinking about Jacob, the man who was largely responsible for much of that family dysfunction. He was, after all, the head of the family. And just as he had received much of his father Isaac's weaknesses and failures, he amplified them and passed them on to his family in spadefuls. So lies, deceit, favoritism, jealousy, rivalry, all that was part of the family picture, part of the family atmosphere in which they lived. For Jacob, it started right at the moment of his birth, maybe even before that. When he comes out of the tomb, out of, out of the womb rather, he, maybe it seemed like that at times, but when he came out of the womb as the second born, of Rebecca's twins. He comes out grasping his brother Esau's heel. I wonder 
Had he been trying to get out first from the womb? Who knows? But there was a lot going on because Rebecca complained about the jostling in her womb. That's back in chapter 25 and verse 22. But, I mean, what pregnant woman ever complains about the baby kicking? As a mere man, I just occasionally got to feel that happening. But a woman must expect, in fact, look forward to the baby having some movement in the womb. And yet Rachel says, or Rebecca rather says, why is this happening to me? So it must have been very bad, the jostling that was going on uh, as she went through her pregnancy. But at any rate, because of that, they called the second twin Jacob. I was wondering about all this jostling going on in her womb, and I, I asked my daughter, Alison, who had had a single birth, her first baby, a baby girl, who's uh, now 19, Katie, and then a few years later, she gave birth to twin boys. And I said, only a man would ask this stupid question. I asked her, was there much difference in your pregnancies? And she said, it was like night and day. It was like night and day. With Katie, it was comparatively peaceful, comfortable even. She said, I actually enjoyed the second trimester of that pregnancy. But with the twins, it was just totally different. They were, they were always jostling with each other. She said, I felt one of them was always on top of the other and uh, not getting enough nourishment. This is what she kind of imagined herself. So that was what was going on. So it was something like that for uh, Rebecca. And so they call this second twin, <coughs> Jacob. In fact, if you want to get some more of the details of Jacob's life as he went on, and his parents and his children, then read some of these chapters uh, just sometime today or whenever. Genesis 25 through the, the following chapters. And you get the flavor of what's been going on in their lives. Today we're just looking at one incident in Jacob's life. An incident so important, so far-reaching, that it actually altered all the future of his life. It's the one we read about there in Genesis 32. When Jacob meets God at Peniel. And Peniel means the face of God. Jacob means he grasps his heel. Let's put these up, uh, David. Grasps his heel and then Peniel means the face of God. And Jacob had an encounter with God the like of which he had never had before. Something happened in Jacob's life that needed to happen so that he could go on with God further up and further in. Now, it's by no means his first experience with God. In spite of the family's failures, Jacob had learned to worship and to serve the Lord from his earliest days. 
And he had had some remarkable experiences of God's blessing and provision. There was the amazing dream at Bethel when he saw the angels ascending and descending on the stairway and the heaven itself open to him. Communion with God was absolutely possible for Jacob. What, a, what an incredible experience that was at Bethel. But to be honest, I never read that passage in Genesis 28 without being struck by verse 16, where Jacob, in the morning, looks around and says to himself, surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't aware of it. Is that possible? How is that possible? For God to be in the place and Jacob not to be aware of it. Well, let's just stop for a moment and ask ourselves, could that happen here? The manifest presence of the Lord in this place and some of us not being aware of that. Is that possible? You know it's possible. There have actually been comparatively few occasions in my ministry over <laughs> more than 50 years I guess but comparatively few occasions when I've seen the presence of God sweep across a whole congregation in a very, very noticeable way. Now, there may well have been times when it's happened and I was the one who wasn't aware of it. That's certainly possible as well. And I felt this morning we were just getting just a touch of that. Did you sense something of that? The Lord is... The Lord is near. We're in the Lord's presence as we worship. Most times, the truth is, most times our awareness of God's presence depends on our attitude. Whether or not we are engaging with what's going on, whether, whether or not we are expecting to meet with God, so I want to say to you, please don't come to church. No, that's not what I want to say. <laughs> I want to say, don't just come to church. Come expecting. Come expecting to meet with God. What a difference that makes. I know it's easier said than done, especially if you've got young kids uh, and you're trying to get organized and get out and get to church. Our kids were usually remarkably well behaved thanks to their mother, but almost always they were at their worst on a Sunday morning, thanks to their father. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, it's not easy. And, and, and for us here, if you have a hassle trying to get parked and all sorts of stuff going on, 
in your life. It's not easy to come into church and sit down and be expecting to meet God. You're probably thinking about a hundred other things. And we get, we get involved in conversation with each other, and that's good, of course. We come to meet with brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's also good just to get even just a few moments of quiet before the service begins to remember why you're here and what we're doing. <coughs> As you sit down, ask yourself, what am I expecting? What am I expecting? And what am I going to give this morning? As part of this worshiping congregation, what is my part? What am I going to give here? We need to make it easy for our worship leaders. I, yeah, well, I, I was going to say I can only imagine what it's like, but I, I know what it's like to stand here and to look out at a sea of stony faces. And for a worship leader to find that he or she has been preparing themselves, they've been steeped in the worship, they've been getting ready to come. They stand up to lead us in worship and all they see are people who look as if they would rather be anywhere else. Arms folded, force me to worship. That's what we're saying. Well, it's not as bad as that, but you know what I mean. You know what I'm trying to say. We need to encourage the folks up front by our own heart attitude as to what we're about. Be involved. Be involved from the word go. And, and even at those times when it's hard, then bring your worship, bring your sacrifice. That's what it might be. A sacrifice of praise to the Lord. Anyway, that's a digression. That's not just the introduction. That's just... But, but maybe an important word for some of us. Here's Jacob, having known some real blessings and provision, but Peniel was special for him. Things were sorted out in Jacob's life that had maybe lingered on for years. And at Peniel, he meets with God in a way that was special for him. And truly, that is why we're here. That's, that's what worship is about, meeting God and in the holiness of his presence to have things sorted out in our lives that need sorting. Of course, we can meet with God anywhere when we're completely alone, as Jacob was here, completely alone. But there is something special about corporate worship as we, as we meet with with fellow believers to exalt the Lord, to, to focus on him, to bring our praise to him, and to help lift those who are needing uplifted at that point, and to challenge those who are not yet believers. There's something special about corporate worship. What matters? is that we encounter God and in that encounter allow things to happen in our lives. So we come, but come not looking for an experience for yourself. 
come to honor and exalt the Lord. That's why you've come to church. Remind yourself of that when you sit down. Anyway, that's what happened for Jacob at Peniel. And interestingly, he did, he did not initiate the encounter with God. God did. It happened. And you and I can't make the presence of God be here. But what a wonderful thing when we sense it. Sense the Lord is with us and moving amongst us. Well, fear not. Uh, the rest is not going to take too long. <laughs> Three very simple points. What was Peniel for Jacob? Obviously, it was a place of conflict. It seems very significant to me that this great encounter with God came when Jacob realized that he was exposed to a situation with Esau that was wholly beyond him. He saw his brother who many years before he had wronged over the birthright was now coming towards him with this small army of men. The fearful situation had already driven Jacob to prayer and he had made some plans of his own. He was, he was good at that kind of thing. But he really had no answer. The man who was the arch schemer had come to an end of himself. And often God brings us to that point. For some, it might be a time of illness. And God lets us see that actually we cannot help ourselves here. For others, it's a personal crisis of some kind or another that makes us cast ourselves on the Lord in a way that we've never really done before. So Jacob is facing a situation completely beyond him. And then God gets him alone. We're told that in verse 24, Jacob was alone. And that's very important. I've just been emphasizing the value of corporate worship. But here's the other side of the coin. And the truth is, some of us hardly ever give God the opportunity to get us alone quietly before him. And God can get you alone when you're in a crowd. God can get you alone when you're sitting here with brothers and sisters in Christ. I've, well, more than occasionally had people say to me, because they've had God speak to them very clearly, perhaps even the time they first came to believe in the Lord, people have said to me, it felt like I was the only person there. God gets you alone, even when you're with other people. So Jacob's alone, and Jacob knows deep in his heart that communication with God is possible. He'd known a measure of that with God, but there was something in Jacob's life preventing the fullness of that. And here he is about to meet Esau. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's made all sorts of plans to appease Esau, if he possibly can. But one thing he didn't want to do was to confess his guilt over the birthright. 
He thought he might be able to negotiate his way through this and achieve some kind of reconciliation with Esau. But the way to peace, the way to peace with God is never by negotiation, but by submission, by surrender. And it's all of God's grace at work in our lives. So Jacob finds himself in a terrific conflict and it was a real physical struggle for Jacob. A man wrestled with him all night. We don't know who this man was. And yet, as the incident unfolds, it surely is clear that Jacob wrestled with the Lord himself that night. The difficult bit, of course, is when the, the Lord, we, we read that the Lord could not overpower Jacob. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? That God was so limiting himself in this struggle that Jacob was going through. I mean, he just had to touch Jacob's hip and it was out of joint. What do you mean he couldn't, he couldn't overpower him? Of course he could overpower him. At any moment he could overpower him. But he was choosing not to. Because this struggle had to go deep in Jacob's life. It had to go right down to the nitty gritty. And so it went on, hour after hour, during the night. But it was God. Jacob tells us that he called the place Peniel because he had seen God face to face and had survived. What an experience. And that conflict brought to a head the battle and struggle of a lifetime. And Jacob's desperate clinging to the Lord expresses something of of, of his ambivalent attitude towards God. Sometimes it's love, sometimes it's indifference. One minute it's dependence on God, the next minute it's defiance. Well, does that surprise you? Have you never been like that? I certainly have. For many of us, the battle has to be fought and maybe has to be fought again and again. It's the battle for our soul. And it's very uneven. Actually, we cannot win it. Praise God we cannot win it. Praise God that although he allows the fight to go on, the struggle to go on at any moment, he can stop it when we are ready to surrender to him. Suddenly the Lord puts his finger on some area of our life where it really hurts and the struggle is over. And uh, Jacob carried that for the rest of his life, I believe, that limp 
And some of you know what it's like to have a painful hip for, for many years, actually. Jacob had that for the rest of his life. But God had touched him. I'm recalling a, a song that some of you will know. It was popular in the early days of the charismatic renewal. I think it's a Bill Gaither song. He touched me. He touched me. I know the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know he touched me and made me whole. The touch of God. Well, the place of conflict becomes the place of confession. What's your name is the question that the Lord puts to Jacob. Do you think God didn't know Jacob's name. Of course he knew it. But Jacob has to admit it. My name. My name is Jacob. Sneak. Thief. Deceiver. Supplanter. Sinner. Aye. Is he not rightly named Jacob? Says he saw back in chapter 27. For he has supplanted me these two days. That's the right name. That's who he is. And Jacob says, yeah, that's who I am. That's who I am. And that's what God means by a question. What's your name? What, what are you really like? What's going on in your life? And Jacob has to face it. As Paul had to face it. In Romans chapter 7, in me dwells no good thing. That is, in my sinful nature, in my old nature, dwells no good thing. When it comes, actually, the confession is very short, very simple, very straightforward, very liberating, and leads immediately to blessing. This is who I am. I confess it. And so if we're needing to confess sin and failure this morning, it'll be the same for us. And the place of confession becomes the place of consecration. I will not let you go, cries Jacob to the Lord. I will not let you go unless you bless me. That was a heartfelt cry from this man. He, Listen, he's not just going through the motions of respectable religion. Anything but. He is clinging on to God for dear life. This is, this is a commitment to the Lord that is white-knuckle real. He's not just going through the motions. The Lord did bless him. And with confession comes cleansing and renewal. He's no longer Jacob. He is Israel. And Israel means he struggles with God, or better, I think, God perseveres. God perseveres with him. It's a new name for a new man, a name that's going to be given to a whole nation of God's people. Jacob emerges from this struggle Slightly broken, yes, but renewed and blessed 
broken because his limp is going to be a lasting reminder of the reality of this struggle. It had been no mere dream. But the new name, listen to this, the new name wiped out the old reproach completely. And was a clear mark of God's grace. And that's how it is for us, for you and me. God knows your name. God knows what you're like. There are things you need to confess to him. Things you need to say sorry to other people for. But you don't have to carry any of the stuff. A new name for a new man. To you, God says, I know your name, but you're my child. You're my child, that's your identity as you believe and trust in him. See, the blessing Jacob received this time, verse 29 there, was untarnished. It wasn't stolen, it was given. It wasn't someone else's, it was absolutely his own. As Ian counseled us last week, some of us may have to renounce some of the old family values and habits and even abuses that have dogged our footsteps for many years. And we have to accept the new identity that God bestows on us in grace and mercy. The blessing Jacob received was absolutely his own. It was an awful struggle for him. But what a glorious outcome. When Jacob was brought to an end of himself and reliance upon the flesh to a place of honest openness before God and then to a place of consecration and renewal and blessing. And it's all God's grace at work. Jacob's elaborate plans to try to buy a restored relationship with his brother Esau were not necessary. God's grace is at work here. And Esau ran to meet Jacob and threw his arms round his neck. There had been more than a 20 year separation and it had started by Esau threatening to kill Jacob. That's what he wanted to do more than anything else. And here he was now throwing his arms around Jacob. And I suspect that God is bringing some of us to this point, maybe a point of real conflict and struggle as God brings us to the end of ourselves as individuals and even as a fellowship. He does so because he wants to renew us and then work through us for his glory. There are many times in life when we could do without the struggle. 
There are many times when it's our own making. But there are some times when God wrestles with us, allowing us to go through that spiritual and sometimes physical struggle in order that we might come through, yeah, maybe still with a bit of a limp. And sometimes that's how you know you can trust another believer because they've got a limp, not a physical limp, but they've been, they've been in a struggle with God. They've been there ahead of you and there may still be a limp, they won't be perfect, of course not, but they've known what it is to be touched by God. And I pray that that may be true for each of us today and in our lives, that we know what it is to be touched by God, by the one who gave himself to save us, the Lord Jesus will be coming to take bread and wine in just a few moments. God loves you and gave himself for you. He says to you, my child, my child. Let's be quiet just for a moment and then Brody will lead us. Thank you for listening to this week's Calling a City to Life talk. We hope that you enjoyed it and that you'll join us again later in the week for the chat. Speak to you again soon. Goodbye.